we say today the sun is not shining. That's not true. The sun is shining every day, but sometimes it's just covered by clouds. And it's the same thing with our own nature. Gisby here. If you listened to the last episode, you'll know that Eric Legal is a Buddhist Lama and a coach in leadership and mindful meditation. And in that episode, we talked about Eric's professional and spiritual journey and how he's now bringing lessons from Buddhism into the workplace to help people rediscover themselves and get back in touch with what it is they love about what they do. Now, when we'd finished recording all the material that I felt we needed for the podcast, the conversation continued as it quite often does. But on this occasion, we did actually start to get into some really quite interesting, somewhat more deeper, as Eric put it, philosophical aspects of his thinking on meditation, Buddhism and leadership coaching. And I actually found the conversation so fascinating that I thought I'd share it with you. So here, if you like, is a bonus episode where we go into a bit more detail. Now, this part of the conversation was triggered by me asking Eric if he would explain a little bit more the concept of brilliant sanity, which I know is something that's quite important to his own thinking on leadership coaching. It's a Buddhist perspective, which is very interesting, which is considering that sanity is before illness. That means that we are sane before being unsane insane before being ill that means it's it's what we call in buddhism and it's a way to to translate buddhism into uh, our current language say that we the buddha is within us we are already buddha the thing is we don't know it and we want we have to reveal it the the approach is is seeing that people are sane and are buddha in fact, our Buddha, we, are all, we all have the nature of Buddha. We all have everything in ourselves to be able to be, uh, to be very well, to be, to, to be happy, to experience well-being, etc. And the problems are only, I know the name in French, but in English, advantageous. It means only recover, but doesn't flow, doesn't affect the, the, the true nature of our sanity. It means that when we are illusions or when we live, uh, when we are living uh, conflictual emotions, those conflictual emotions cannot affect our true nature. It's only recovering. Like, like the clouds in the sky, the clouds in the sky don't affect the sun and the openness of the sky. And the, the, and it's an approach where there's a lot of approaches of coaching or even in therapy, which is only focusing on the clouds, only focusing on the problems and forgetting that behind the clouds, 
there is the immense sky and and the and the sun is shining when we say today the sun is not shining that's not true the sun is shining every day but sometimes it's just covered by clouds and it's the same thing with our own nature sometimes we have the impression of it being in a very bad condition and very having a lot of problems in our lives and we forget that our heart, our mind, is shining of its own clarity. It's just covered by all our problems. So rather than trying, to, and it's, it's, a, it's an approach where rather than trying to fix the problems, to get rid of the clouds, we try to give more awareness of the sun, of the sky, that means of the, the true, authentic nature of our mind, which is uh, loving, which is openness, which is awareness, which is without all those problems, which is clarity. In terms of coaching, that means it's an approach where I try to, not to fix problems, but to work with what is going right, what is going right work with the basic qualities the fundamental qualities i don't in fact we don't take care a lot of the problems let's take the example of the lawyer we didn't like we didn't work on trying to understand why he is angry why maybe there's there's been something in his history when he was young, when he was a child, that created the problem of, of, um, of reacting that, like that. We don't, we don't care about that. The idea is we know that behind anger there is the clarity of the mind, there is a precision, the awareness, a very precise awareness, and we will work with that. Getting rid of the problem, getting, just letting go of, of the problem. So that's a completely different approach, right? And maybe if he had gone to another coach, he would have found something else that they would have maybe worked on. Okay, let's try to understand where does it where where this aggression comes from, where does this anger come from, and try to find a cause of it. And is this causation trying to fix it? We didn't talk about it at all. Okay, let me let me just test this. See if I've got this right. So, are we saying that there there are basically kind of two approaches you could take? The more traditional approach, where if you've got a problem or some challenges, and you could take those to a coach, work with the coach to look at them specifically to try and find solutions, develop your own solutions with the coach's help to those problems, or you could take the mindful approach, which is where you deliberately don't think about the problems themselves you you stop yourself from thinking hard about them you almost in effect take your your mind offline which allows the, as you say the clouds to clear and your brilliant sanity to emerge and as a result you end up when you do go back to the the, the problem that you're trying to solve you have a different perspective on it and it helps you see more clearly um a bit like you know a more profound version of what happens if you have a good night's sleep and wake up in the morning and find things aren't quite as bad as you thought they were? Yes, exactly. That's, that's exactly that. It means that 
suppose I have a client who comes with what you said, I would I would say, okay, let's put the problems aside for the moment. What does it? What what is the uh, consequence of this on you? What is the kind of emotion it makes you have? What is this kind of emotion? What does it reveal of you? Where are your resistance? Where is it uh, that you are grasping things and making things very solid where maybe they are not, etc.? And then trying to clarify them, clarify that. Yes, we will. The the people will find back. Will will find again the that they have the ability to cope with these problems. But the best way to cope with the problem is not to, is to not be overwhelmed by the problem. And sometimes giving too much attention to a problem is not a way to solve a problem. It's a little bit like you have a problem and you are just over-focused on this problem and you want to find a solution, it's impossible. And okay, you don't find a solution. Then you go for a walk for one hour and you come back and see the solution is here. It's exactly the same. Let's not talk, the, the problem is not, is not what is problematic. The problem is how I live with this situation. What is my relationship with this situation? What is my relationship with these problems? Right. How can I change that? And by changing that, by transforming that, then it will transform the problem. Sometimes, and I, I would even say that 50% or maybe more of the problems will just vanish by themselves because people discover that it's just mental constructions. That the problems don't even exist in the reality. Like everything linked to judgments thinking that they can lose in a competition, that maybe someone is overperforming versus them, etc. These kind of things are not real problems, they are judgments they have. And so if, 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 I, if I work with the problem of performance, for example, or their comparison to others, then I give a certain solidity to it. Well, in fact, it's only a thought and it's only something that only exists in their mind. Right? I don't say that it's always the case, but it can. It, most of the times, it's the case. Right. But so, are you saying that we we have a choice about how we feel and how we react to a situation? I mean, I mean I've had people say that to me in the past when I've said, you know, a certain situation might annoy me or upset me or maybe feel depressed about it or something. And they've said, well, you know, you don't have to feel that. You have a choice as to how you feel about it. So can we can we control how we react to situations? Yes, but it's because, and here we will enter in something more philosophical. It's because at the end, I think that we never have the choice. It's, it's a little bit, wow, thinking that, okay, I never choose anything. In fact, all my choices are guided by how I've been educated or I, what are my habits, who, who, who I think I am, what are all my construction, what are my concepts, what are my values, etc. And this makes us choose something. 
But can we really have another possibility to act? That's a, a huge question. I don't say that we have no choice, or that, but it's a question we can have. Do we really have the ability to, and the, the freedom, the independence, complete independence to choose something? So that's, that's, that's a, key, a key question to have. <clears throat> and um, so it's, um, that doesn't mean that I always go that far with people, because sometimes it can, it can be very uh, too, too much. But uh, there is, there is a, um, a quote from Viktor Frankl, who uh, created the uh, existential psychotherapy, who says, between a stimulus and my response to this stimulus, there is a very tiny time when I can, where lies my liberty, my liberty to choose my response to the stimulus. But most of, uh, and that's, that's what he says. And in this, and he says, within this short time, uh, is my liberty, and I can, is my liberty, right? And most of the people don't have this liberty because the stimulus comes like automatic, the response comes like automatically from the stimulus without having any time here. Right? And all the way of mindfulness for me, as I understand it, is to train ourselves to just give us a little time between what is stimulating us and the response we'll give. And that's the only the only choice we can make to say, okay, do I want to answer automatically, like an automatic answering machine, or do I just give a break, give myself a break? And then my response will come naturally. But we will not have the I will not have any more the impression of not having liberty, always behaving the same way confronted to the same stimulus. But that doesn't mean that I have chosen, but it's, and all the training of, medit of meditation mindfulness is to train to just give a little more time between the two, uh, between the stimulus and the response, so that we can gain a little bit more of liberty. The concept of liberty in Buddhism is not the concept of having the choice is the concept, it's the, the idea of liberty in Buddhism is going beyond the idea of choice. That means that being able to see directly and not, not the, it's not the idea of changing our conditioning. We have a lot of conditionings. The idea of Buddhism is not to change our conditioning, because in fact, what we will do is we just transfer a, a previous conditioning and create a new conditioning, which is not liberty. It's a, just a new conditioning, which can be appropriate at one point of time, but maybe one day will become inappropriate again. The idea of liberty in Buddhism is going beyond the idea of conditioning, starting to go to unconditional way of life. And 
this is only possible by just what we call suspension. Suspension of the dynamics of the mind. And mindfulness meditation is this, is this kind of bracketing of the experience for a while and see what happens. When we just stop being in this cognitive cycle of conditioning that conditions a new action, those new action will become conditionments, conditionings for the next action, etc., and that never ends. And by this bracketing, you have a better understanding of this consciousness cycle. And this is really true, a true revelation. That means that you, you continue to be conditioned in a certain way, but you see it more clearly. And by seeing it, you gain a new perspective of liberty. It's a little bit like a, a magician trick, right? When you have a magician near you, uh, in front of you and he, he goes, does you a trick, and you, you don't know what it is, right? And you are like, oh, completely uh, fascinated by it. Then someone comes and tells you, okay, here is the trick. The card is in the, <laughs> the card is in, is behind the, the end and it goes there, etc. Then the magician can come again, do the trick again to you, but say, no, I know your trick. And that's liberty. It means, so the mind is like this magician. It show, the mind shows you an infinite possibility of tricks. As long as you have not understood how it works, you are just fascinated by it and you are like uh, under its, its control, the control of your conditioning. Once you have understood it, and it's not only an intellectual understanding, it has to be an, ex, uh, um, an understanding within the experience. Then the, the magician, the mind comes and shows you again his trick. We say, no, 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 I know your trick. Mm. Thing is, though, I, I know one thing that people can struggle with, and I've struggled with this, is that if you have an analytical, you know, usually have an analytical way of thinking about things, you know, you take a diagnostic approach to problem solving, then that can be a bit of a challenge. You know, many leaders are inveterate problem solvers and it's worked very well for them. But um, with mindfulness, they, they really have to let that go uh, if it's going to work for them, don't they? Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Unless you have not started a bit of understanding that your mental activity is not solving problems but creating problems, then you cannot trust mindfulness. The people who are starting the process of starting to learn mindfulness, etc., generally speaking, are people who have started, not maybe completely yet, understood that the mental uh, cycles, our thoughts, that can solve problems, but also create a lot of problems and are the origin of a lot of problems. Once you've not started to understand that, then mindfulness is not, you're not, you're not yet open to mindfulness practice. It's, most of the people start, start to, to, to practice mindfulness because they have the feeling of being overwhelmed by their thoughts. 
which is a first understanding of, yes, the thought can solve problems, but it's a solve problem. Right. But you also talk about brilliant leadership as well, don't you? What's that then? How does that relate to brilliant sanity? It's the idea of being authentic. A leader is a good leader, to my point of view, when this leader is authentic. That means a leader who is confident, self-confident, not confident in his own quality or in something that would be a little bit egoistic, but confident that in himself he has good, the mind has pure, pristine qualities which are not affected by all the things that happen in the mind. And when they have this kind of self-confidence, then they don't fear to be authentic. And not fearing to be authentic, they are brilliant, even though they can make mistakes, even though they can sometimes be a little bit weird in their reaction, etc. Because we have a trust that this person is open enough and is authentic enough and is welcoming enough, then you are ready to follow this person. There is no leadership without followership, right? You can only be a leader if people are following you. You are not a leader alone in your room, you know? And it's, it's difficult to be a leader in the lockdown alone, secluded in your bedroom, right? You have to have people who trust you. And the basis of leadership is trust. It can be two things. It's trust or fear, right? Either you follow people because you trust them or either you follow people because you fear them. Let's not talk about fear-based leadership, which is not leadership, in fact. But what makes people... That, that you, you, we all know people who are, have this ability. We don't understand really why, but people always follow them always are ready to do things with them or to act in the way they have said is a good way, etc. The reason is trust. What gives, what the, and the, the, the foundation of trust is authenticity. If, if a person is completely authentic, then I can trust him that he will welcome and accept my own authenticity, my own vulnerability, my own flaws, my own problems, and that would be okay. So then I can trust. So I can recognize this person as a leader. And a leader is not necessarily a leader as we, as we understand it in, uh, in our modern world, like uh, uh, successful businessman, politician, whatever. Yeah, I mean, they don't have to have the badge of office or their name on the door or whatever. Yes, a good coach is a leader in, the, in a certain way mm. because you trust him and you want to follow the guidelines or the, the, the things, the, the ideas he gives you to, to, to mature in your life. Um, a, a, a mother is a leader, and a good mother is a good leader for his for her kids, etc. You know, in a certain way. And trust comes from authenticity, and brilliant and authenticity 
comes from a self-confidence, a trust that um, I have good qualities in my in myself that then they cannot lose them nothing can corrupt them and if i have this self-confidence for me as it is universal to the mankind to our humanity then i can trust it's the same for the other that means that the other can be angry at me can be jealous at me can envy me, can have a lot of of, of uh, emotional uh, conflicts with me, but I trust that behind that, the, the person has the same qualities and the same brilliant sanity behind. And the trust is both goes both ways. So that's what what I call the brilliant sanity and brilliant, brilliant leadership. And brilliant leadership is based on trust, and this trust is based on authenticity. Yeah, but but I mean, there are some people, though, aren't there? I mean, I've met a few, not many, admittedly, but but they they're sort of like that naturally. I mean, they haven't gone through any mindfulness approach or anything else. It's just how they are. Yeah, mindfulness is not the only way to unveil, to reveal the our brilliant sanity. And some, some other people will find other ways, yes, it can happen. But the thing is, my point is, um, most of the spiritualities are the, this path, are a path to our authenticity. It means that Christianity teaches exactly the same. Um, Judaism or Islam, this, all, 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 all the spiritual paths are our path to to our yeah to being an authentic human being. That's it's just a presentation with a little bit different because of culture, background, etc. And uh, so you can reveal yourself as an authentic, brilliant leader through through another spiritual path. Yes, of course. But the, 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 the specificity of, of Buddhism and of mindfulness, which is like of a, 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 a non-religious way to talk about Buddhism, mindfulness, um, is maybe the one that is the most precise in his, its methodology to reconnect ourselves to our brilliant sanity with a real clear method which is meditation which is a certain presentation of of how the mind works and uh, descriptions of that when in other spiritualities it can be used through um, analogies symbols that are sometimes maybe a little bit more difficult to understand but the aim the goal i'm sure is exactly the same and it's universal to seek happiness health harmony and an authentic connection to the true self it's just that our strategies are 
different. And some of the strategies can be dramatic sometimes. Right. Okay. But thing is, just thinking about authenticity, I mean, there are examples from, I don't know, say history of people who were hugely authentic and built up very, very strong followings, but, um, you know, probably turned out to be quite harmful leaders. I mean, you know, maybe even evil, if you like. Brilliant leadership relies on authentic leadership, but authentic leadership is not enough. Because in a certain way, we can say that dict uh, some tyrannic people are authentic in their way, but it's not enough. More than, just more than authenticity, you need a kind of wisdom that will enlighten this authenticity with a true understanding on what is generating true happiness and what is generating suffering, what is generating harmony and what is generating disharmony. And I'm quite sure that in that every dictator, every tyrant have um, didn't say themselves uh, when they wake up in, when they woke up in the morning that I want to be terrible to the humankind to the humanity. No, they wanted to do things for the best of the humanity. But the problem is that they didn't know what can be the best versus what can be the worst, what can generate happiness and what can generate suffering. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one one example that comes to my mind is um, Maximilien Robespierre, you know, who became one of the leaders of the French Revolution. Uh, I mean, very authentic, but pretty ruthless as well. Yes. He was the untouchable. His nickname in France is the untouchable. He, in a kind of purity, he wanted, uh, his goal was to uh, the pure rep French Republic with virtues of people, people being very virtuous. So in a society of, of, uh, of virtues, then we will reach the ideal republic. But for that, he said, okay, so we have to kill the people who are, who are not virtuous. And there, there is a guillotine and there is the, the terror um, regime. Right? So, um, and so you can be really authentic in the way you behave and even in the there can be a kind of purity in the in your goals but if you if your strategy is not enlightened by a certain kind of wisdom which is the understanding of the nature of of happiness and the causes of happiness then you can be authentic but you're not brilliant A big thank you to Eric for taking me just a little bit further into the concept of mindfulness coaching. If you'd like to know more, then I would recommend reading the paper Eric published, which summarises the thesis that he did for his INSEAD qualification, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And if you'd like to get hold of Eric, then you'll find his contact details also in the show notes, along with a link to his very elegant website. I'm Paul Gisby. And this has been a Talking Leaders production. We work with leaders who want to be heard, understood, and to build trust. Goodbye.